um, reading, reading the uh, Bible passage, which is from Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and given that um, this is the last chapter of Ecclesiastes and the last few verses, I guess this is the last message, Ryan. Oh, clever, aren't I? <laughs> so Ecclesiastes 12, starting at verse 8. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. We've heard that a few times, haven't we? Hmm. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. Their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails, given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study, where is the body? Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil.
or this Kohelis character, but someone else has kind of seemingly tacked on their thoughts on the end of the book. If you have your Bible open still, have a look. See for yourself. Look at how it is written. Look how it shifts. Verse 8, and, verse eight is written as if Kohelis wrote it himself, but the last little paragraph is written in a different way. It is not Kohelis writing his thoughts, but someone else summing them up for him. Therefore, the phrase in verse 8, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, are the last words of Kohelis in the book of Ecclesiastes. Does anyone remember the very first words of the book, way back in chapter 1? What did he say? He said the same thing. He kicked off the book with these words, which makes his first and his last words of this entire book of Ecclesiastes meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Pretty positive stuff, isn't it? <laughs> this shows us that in his conclusion, he seeks to bring us back to where we began in chapter 1. This is an ancient literary technique called inclusio. And no, it's not some spell from Harry Potter, darn it. <laughs> As he intentionally begins and ends the book with the same phrase, the writer seeks to bring us back to the beginning of the book. But we're not the same people, are we? Having read a lot of this book lately and having it had, had taught it the past months, we have a better understanding of the book of Ecclesiastes and that life as portrayed by Kohelis is indeed meaningless. Hearing the meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless phrase again, especially after working through this book, it kind of, it kind of hits differently now, doesn't it? Maybe to start with, well, this was my, for me at least, it kind of seemed funny and a bit of a weird thing to say. However, now we've looked at just how meaningless life can actually be and in great depth exploring the meaninglessness of life, pleasure, work, worship and ageing, all of this is utterly meaningless, at least without God in it. To wrap up this series and continue with the theme of the meaningless existence portrayed throughout, I'm going to do my best to explain the following. What we do with our meaningless lives really matters. This seems like a very contradictory and kind of a dumb thing to say, I know, but allow me to try and explain over the next 15 or so minutes. What we do with our meaningless lives really matters. Before we do though, please stop with me and pray. God, this book is a weird one. I am, and I suspect many here today as well, are often a little confused when we read it. This problem of a meaningless existence comes up time and time again. Help us understand what you want to say today. Please open our hearts, minds and eyes to understand, feel and see what you want us to do and be, Lord. Lord, please walk beside us this morning. Please guide our thoughts, guide me and may your words be spoken here. Please fill us with your spirit to understand your word and what you are saying to us. Thanks for this opportunity we have now, together as a gathered bunch of believers, to open and explore your word. Have your way in us, please, God. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we're going to work through this passage verse by verse, more or less, this morning. Let's quickly look at verse 8. As we've explored a lot in this last week, or last weeks, and as I've teased already, this meaningless life is a very, very prominent part of the entire book of Ecclesiastes. This life, though, is, as Kohelis puts it, under the sun, meaning life on earth, seeking things on earth. This is the meaningless life he's talking about. 
pursuing things on earth, career, relationships, fun, money, love, and anything else on earth that you can think of, it is all meaningless. We live, we die, and it's gone. For what? For nothing. Therefore, Kahelis points us toward a life seeking things above the sun, not on this earth. Things not on this earth, they are what bring us meaning and satisfaction. All throughout Ecclesiastes, Kahelis shows us how everything he pursued still left him wanting more. And trust me, he pursued a lot. More than any one of us could ever afford or accomplish in our lifetime. This dude had it all. An entire kingdom at his disposal. More gold than he knew what to do with. More of anything he could ever want. Yet he still came up empty. Because he sought fulfilment and meaning by chasing things under the sun. I'm certain I'm not alone when I say that I've thought things like this. I'd be happier if I just had, insert, toy, relationship, money, that job, whatever. What happens when you get it, though? You almost immediately want something else. A life chasing after things under the sun is meaningless. We've been shown this and told this a lot over the past weeks, so I won't say much more on it now, but I do want this fresh in your minds this morning. A life under the sun, chasing things on this earth, is meaningless. A life pursuing God instead is meaningful. Or as one commentary put it, life under the sun, S-U-N, is meaningless. Life under the sun, S-O-N, is meaningful. All right, moving on from verse 8, let's check out verses 9 to 12. The quest to find the answers to a meaningful life are over. Or at least... It can be. Ecclesiastes and the Bible clearly show how to have a meaningful life. At least they do if you take the time to understand it. The Bible is not just some old book full of good wisdom for life. It is God's word to us. What it says is true and always has been. Many, many people have tried to pull it and subsequently the Christian faith to pieces. Many people have tried to discredit and destroy the Christian faith and the church. The Romans did their best to kill off the Christians way back when. It didn't work. Think of China in the last decades. Think of the Islamic countries today. Think of today's society here in Australia. Christianity and the church cannot and will not be extinguished. Nothing and no one have been able to entirely extinguish the Christian faith throughout all of history. And that's because it's true. God's word stands strong against a tirade of opposition not because it's old or well-regarded, but because it is true. Now, you might be thinking, that's a nice way to dodge the issue, Ryan. Just saying God fixes everything, saying I need to trust him and, and the Bible, it doesn't really help me. How can I know for sure if it really is the case? How can you know that God is real? Let me respond with another question. How long would you suffer for a lie? If I told you I had a lolly in my hand and held my arm behind my back, to prevent you from seeing it, let's say you insist on getting my lolly. I might be able to come up with some nice story to explain, I actually do have a lolly, yes, and try and convince you that way. I might try that for a while, but the moment you like inflict pain, maybe you stomp on my toes, and yes, Rob, I'm wearing shoes today, you stomp on my toes or try and twist my arm around and force my hand open, I'm going to give in pretty quick because I'm not willing to suffer for something I know is a lie. I don't have a lolly in my hand. 
Do you have any idea how many people have suffered and died for the gospel? No one can possibly know. Countless Christians have died, suffered and been persecuted for their faith and belief in the Bible as God's word. Jesus' disciples had horrific deaths and faced incredible opposition, yet none recanted their faith. Because it is true. What they saw and what they were taught by Jesus was truth. No one could go to the extreme length that they did to preserve and promote a lie. Spiritual truth is available to us. God's word is truth. What Cahelis says in Ecclesiastes is true. I bring this up because it is largely what Ecclesiastes 9 to 12 is all about. It says, Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of making many books there is no end, and of much, and much study wearies the body. The words of the Bible are true. What Cahelis wrote is true. Now, we might not like what it says, but it is true. As it says, the words of the wise are like a goad, which I was like, what the heck's a goad? It's a, the modern-day equivalent is a cattle prod or something like that. God's word points us in the right direction. Now, that's not to say that the Christian life is constantly being poked in the butt with a sharp stick. Not at all. Think about it. When do, when do you need a cattle prod? Only when the livestock veer off course. A sheep who knows and trusts its shepherd will follow their lead. They understand that the shepherd knows where the greener pastures are. If they're not willing to follow the shepherd, it's not out of the question, just to give a little prod in the right direction. Not to injure them or to harm them, but to steer and guide, direct them on the right path, the path that the shepherd has laid before them. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes is a lot like a cattle prod. It's not comfortable, and it's not all that fun, and it's not all that easy to take but it is helpful, more helpful than I can say. What about the phrase in verse 12 that talks of endless book writing and study? Well, in a nutshell, we're being reminded that endless study, reading and learning is tiresome. I can personally vouch for that, having just finished my studies. Woohoo! <laughs> uh, it's tiresome, at least when it's trying to get around or disprove or discredit the Bible. So many books have been written saying they've found the answer to life. You know, or the newest and best diet, the, or how to raise a family, or how to be beautiful. Clearly, I haven't read that one. Whatever. There is no shortage of books trying to answer what only the Bible can. Absolutely, there are so many good books that help explain the Bible. That is not what I'm talking about here, nor is it what Kahela is talking about. It's about trying to find a meaningful life, studying and learning stuff from the outside the Bible because of a refusal to submit to what God says in it. The answer you are looking for to have a meaningful life is available. Are you, am I, willing to hear it? Or do we, do we feel the need to constantly look for other options that might sound a little bit nicer or a bit easier pill to swallow? Or perhaps you just find yourself wanting to resist the Good Shepherd's directions. These directions are found in Ecclesiastes. They're found all throughout the Bible. The pursuit to find a meaningful life is detailed in these pages. 
not in the latest self-help book. We can see what the Bible says about having a meaningful life in verses 13 and 14. Now, all has been heard. All that's been heard. We have read the book of Ecclesiastes and we've heard what Kaheleth has said. Here is a conclusion of the matter. That matter being the key to having a meaningful life. This is the answer. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. Two things. We are told that the answer to a meaningful life is fear God, keep his commandments. The idea of fear God is a bit of a weird one these days with English language and all that. It's not all that helpful. It's not just to be scared or fearful of him. It is instead to honour and revere him, to worship him as God. The other part of the instruction in Ecclesiastes is to keep his commandments. This is pretty clear and straightforward to grasp, to understand, but it does not mean that it's easy to do. Basically, we're to live as God shows us and tells us in his word, the Bible. Will you surrender to what God says in the Bible? Or will you or I be like the person that Paul describes in 2 Timothy 3 verse 7 as always learning, never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth? Looking for answers everywhere but where God says. Looking for answers under the sun, that's S-U-N. Or are you looking for answers under the sun, S-O-N? We ought to be content with what the Bible says. We ought to submit to its authority and do not accept anything less and do not demand anything more. Which leads us to the last part of this Bible passage. Verse 14, judgment. Dun, dun, dun. Allow me to remind us of the last two points and why this whole thing matters before we go there though. To kick off, we're reminded that in the fact is that life is indeed meaningless without God. I realise that could be taken as some churchy blanket statement, but here is why it matters. It matters because God is not just some airy-fairy being in the sky, but because ultimately he will judge everyone at the end of time. This quote from the commentary gets my point about the meaningless life. It says, if there is no God, then there is no judge. If there is no judge, there will be no final judgment. If there is no final judgment, there is no ultimate meaning to life. Nothing matters. If there is no God to judge the world, then human existence is a pointless litigation that ends in meaningless despair. That's point one. Point two, we looked at how the Bible is true. It is not it has not stood the test of time because it's a nice old book. Christianity has not stood the test of time because it's popular with the masses. It stands strong today because it's true. God's word found in the Bible is true. There is a God, there is a meaning and purpose for life. It is found in him and what he says in the Bible. Which brings us to verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Whether we're ready to come before God now or hope to avoid it, the truth is, one day, every one of us will stand before God for judgment. How do you feel about that? This can be a very scary thought. At least it is if you plan, up, plan on showing up alone. If you plan on showing up to God's judgment throne alone. To explain this further, allow me to read the closing paragraphs from this 
hear commentary. I think it powerfully sums up Ecclesiastes and takes all of us to Jesus. So it says in this here book, why does Ecclesiastes tell us about final judgment here? Because it means that everything matters. The preacher began and ended his spiritual quest by saying that everything is vanity, everything is meaningless, and that without God there is no meaning or purpose to life. Is that all there is, he kept asking. Isn't there more to life than what I see under the sun, S-U-N? If there is no God and therefore no final judgment, then it is hard to see how anything we do really matters. But if there is a God who will judge the world, then everything matters. This is not all there is. There is a God in heaven who rules the world. There is a life to come after this life. One day the dead will be raised and every person who has ever lived will stand before God for judgment. When that day comes, it will be revealed that everything anyone ever did or said or thought has eternal significance. At the final judgment, it will matter how we used our time, whether we wasted it on foolish pleasures or worked hard for the Lord. It will matter what we did with our money, whether we spent it on ourselves or invested in the eternal kingdom. It will matter what we did with our bodies, what our eyes saw, what our hands touched and what our mouths spoke. Whether we obeyed our father and mother will matter. So will the look we gave them when, or the little comment that we made as we were walking away. What we did for a two-year-old will matter. The way we made time for her and got down on her level. What we said about someone else's performance will matter. The sarcastic remark or the word of genuine praise. The proud boast and the selfless sacrifice will matter. The household task and the homework assignment will matter. The cup of water, the tear, the compassion... The word of testimony, all of it matters. The final message of Ecclesiastes is not that nothing matters, but that everything does. What we did, how we did it, why we did it, will all have eternal significance. The reason everything matters is because everything in the universe is subject to the final verdict of a righteous God who knows every secret. What matters most of all, therefore, is the personal decision that each person makes about Jesus Christ. Ecclesiastes does not end with a promise of grace, but with a warning of judgment. Nevertheless, this book has a gracious purpose of pointing us to the gospel. If it is true that God will bring everything into judgment, then it is desperately important for us to make sure that we will be found righteous on that awesome and momentous day. The only way to be sure is to entrust our lives to Jesus Christ, who alone has the power to save us from the wrath of God. Into this vain world the Saviour came. Like us, he suffered all its futility and frustration. But Jesus did more. When the time was right, he took the judgment that we deserve by dying for our sins on the cross. His body returned to the dust, like the preacher said. But on the third day, he rose again, bringing life out of the grave. Soon, Jesus will come again. The Bible says that God has fixed 
a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. When that day comes, everyone who believes in Jesus will stand before the righteous judge and look into the eyes of a loving Saviour. Trust Jesus, whose victory saves us from life's vanity. Praise God. Let's pray. God, thanks that we have the key to a meaningful life, a life with purpose, a life that is so worth living. Thanks that you have outlined it in these pages of the Bible. Thanks that it is true, that it has and will continue to stand the test of time. Lord, everything we do matters. Everything we do will be brought before you at the final judgment. That is a scary thought, incredibly scary actually, particularly if we stand there alone. But God, we don't have to. We can stand there with Jesus. Jesus took our judgment, our sin, our bad decisions and has taken the punishment for them. We can stand before you because of what Jesus has done on the cross. God, we thank you. What an insufficient thing to say for an all-sufficient gift to us. God, life here is hard and we want to follow you and know you. Help us dig into what you say in the Bible. This book is difficult to navigate and at times very confusing. But thanks that it is true. Thanks that we have it so freely here. Help us to use it well in our lives, to devour it, to dig into it, to wrestle with what it says. Because God, it is true. It holds all we need to know for life. God, thanks for this time together. Thanks for your word. Thanks for your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.